0: Hi, welcome to Upgrade Your Faith. I'm Luke Gradless, and this is one of our bite-sized Bible studies. We are continuing our journey through the book of 1 Peter, and we find ourselves now in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17. So again, that's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. And so Peter kind of comes back to a concept that he's discussed before, which is, is the unity that he wants to see in the church between believers. And so in verse 8, he says this, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And so let's just stop there for for a second before he, he transitions into an Old Testament reference. Peter is talking to the church, and what he's saying is our default right? Our normal mode with other brothers and sisters in the faith should be that we are trying to have unity. We are trying to have one mind. We are trying to approach things with compassion and with love. And we are doing that as if we were having a conversation with a brother, right? Our interactions with each other are dictated by this desire to be of one mind, to show compassion, to be tender-hearted towards each other, to be courteous to each other. And in fact, to drive home the point of how much we are, we are supposed to be urging for this, to keep the body of Christ united. He then says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. And so what he's saying is, is, is love needs to guide these relationships. And, and love for Christians always has been about the idea that we are joyfully sacrificing for another. And so part of that sacrifice is, is sometimes someone I love does something wrong to me, hurts me, offends me, and instead of me going, you know what, it's just and right for me to offend you and hurt you back because you hurt me, I instead sacrifice, I give that up, and I say, no, you, you through hurtful words, I'm gonna come back with loving words. You aim to hurt, I aim to bless, right? We, we are trying to overcome this. And in fact, this often throughout scripture, is identified as one of the calling cards of Christianity, right? You hear Jesus talk and he, he references how, look, non-believers love their children, love their wives, love their friends, right? You, you don't have to look hard to find people who love the people they care about, the people that make their lives easier. But what is strange, what does make the world take notice, what makes people pause, is when we see someone love their enemy. When we see someone love which again is sacrifice, sacrifice for somebody who is doing them harm or stands against them or opposes them. That makes the world pause and go, wait a minute, that's strange. And so not only are we called to do that to the world, but then most definitely we are called to have that attitude as believers. Now I'll caution you, love isn't a coverall for every argument that we have as believers, right? This is the default mode that we're supposed to have there are legitimate times and in fact i think there are a lot of legitimate times now where as christians we need to make sure on key doctrine right how are you saved what does it mean to be a disciple what does it mean you know who do you think jesus is and what he did for you you know how how do you obtain salvation these are all key things that like we need to be on the same page about because there are so many cracks now between Christian denominations and people who just call themselves Christians, whether they're part of a denomination or not, in scripture, that you often now will run into a time where you say you're one thing and the other person says the same thing, but you guys mean totally different things about that. And so what this isn't saying is, is that you shouldn't stand for the word. It's not saying that you shouldn't have powerful conversations when people are veering away from scripture. What it is saying though is your default mode is to show love, kindness, and tender hardness towards other brothers and sisters, and that even if you are going to be debate, even if you are going to have a discussion that's that's passionate, right? The whole motive of that is love. The whole motive of that is to bring together unity, to overcome those differences. It reminds me of when I talk to people about arguing in, in premarriage counseling. I always encourage them: remember. It's you two versus the problem. And you may have different paths towards solving that problem, but you are one. You are one entity in the eyes of God. You have been made one by God, and you as one are trying to solve that problem. Granted, you may have different paths, but you can't start to see your spouse as the enemy. And I think that's the same mentality that we're supposed to have with Christianity. Our, our bias is, is hey, if I come to another believer and we're having disagreement, my goal should be to find unity. My goal should be to do that in a loving way and in a compassionate way because we need that strength as the body of Christ to not be divided. And so that's, that's what you kind of see Peter calling this to. Then what happens in verse 10 is he references Psalm 34. Uh, Psalm 34 verses 12 through 16. And so he quotes this and he says, He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, again, here's what you see. You don't see Peter saying, hey, look, who cares about right and wrong? Who cares about good and evil? Just find unity. Unity is the ultimate goal. It's not what he's saying. He's saying you start with a desire for unity, you start with a desire of love, you show love, you show compassion, you show tenderheartedness. What are you pursuing in all that? You're pursuing God and you're pursuing goodness. And in fact, if you kind of break this down, you you kind of see some different things he's calling us to. Uh, One, he's saying have a humble and loving attitude, right? This is not about you showing your authority and your power and you getting what you deserve. This is about you being lowly and loving. Second, you have a non-vindictive attitude. Right, so just because you harm me doesn't mean I'm going to harm you. I'm not looking, you know, to have an even exchange here. I'm willing to take on some pain, some sacrifice if it's for your benefit. Three, in our speech, we are going to be pure. And And this is a hard one, right? Because the natural reaction of humans is, is if you punch me, whether physically or more often in our world, verbally. My natural desire is to punch you back, right? So. We live in a world where man, if someone leaves a mean comment, if someone says a mean thing to you, uh, if someone shoots a mean angry text, right, what do you wanna do? You wanna shoot one right back that does the same thing that that stabs them for stabbing you. And what Peter's calling us to do is go, don't do that, don't be vindictive. Rise above that, rise above that, right? So we're humble, we're loving, we're non-vindictive, we have pure speech. And then we have a disdain for sin, right? we we actually have like this disgust for it even if it's in ourselves right when we see sin because what we know about sin is sin is death and not only is it death but sin is separating us from god so our ultimate desire always right is to be as close to god as possible and what we know is when sin is present it is just Pulling us and pulling us and pulling us further from God, and so because of that, we, we have a disdain for sin. Not that we believe we're better than everybody else. Not that we think there's you know the sinners over here and I'm holy. No, we realize we're all sinners, and even in ourselves and in others, we have a disdain for sin. And then you see him call for this pursuit of peace, right? So what are you what are you aiming for? What are you chasing? What are you going after? We're going after peace, the peace that's found. In our relationship with God, in our in our love for God, in Him, that's where our peace comes from. Um, and then all this all is kind of wrapped up with the right motive, right? You have the right motive. What what was your intent in all of this? And so that's what you see Peter kind of outlining here in verses eight through thirteen is, is or twelve, is hey, you got to have this unity. In this unity, here's some things you can do that will help it. Um, and you got to have some self discipline. You got to have some control to be able to make it through those things. And then in verse 13, he kind of talks about, so what happens when you do those things, but it it doesn't work out? So in 13, he says, and who is he will harm you if you become followers of what is good. And so here, Peter's kind of talking about a probability. He's saying, look, it's not a guarantee if you do good that no pain will come your way. We know from many other passages in scripture that Jesus tells us, look, there are gonna be times when you did everything right. You honored me, you followed me, and the world came at you for that. But what Peter's saying here is there is some logic to the fact that if you're always loving, if you're always helping, if you're always making the world a better place for others, if you have this kind of compassionate love in your life, there's gonna be a lot of people who will resist harming you because it will just be stupid, and be dumb. Why, why would they do that? Why would they go after someone who's good? And then in 14, he, he lets you know that, hey, well, that's probable. There will be moments where it doesn't work. So that's why he says in 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor troubled. So he's saying, hey, one, doing right is normally a good thing for you. Two, even if you do get in trouble for doing what's right, Kind of a blessing that you're suffering, right? Because because you're still doing what's right by God, right? In 15, he says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And so what he's saying is, he's say, hey, even if they come at you, for doing what's right. One, you have peace because you've done what's right for God. And two, they, maybe not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of the Lord, which is what really matters, they're the fools. They're the fools for calling what is good evil. Uh, they're the ones who are, are going to be ashamed for calling ro- uh, you know right actions wrong. And so we get concerned not with how the world will judge these things, but how will the Father? How will the Father judge these things? And so not only do we have that peace that says, hey, if this happens, you know, we'll overcome it because I have my relationship with God, but also then he he encourages us to have a boldness where even as the tribulation comes your way, right, even as people are are piling on you because you're doing what's right, there is a hope in you because that hope you have in in God says, look, however things turn out here in this world, I'll be okay because I know how the story ends. And I know he's victorious. And so when people go, wait, why are you hopeful right now? Bad things are happening to you, You should not be hopeful. When they ask for that hope, we go, let me tell you why I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because of Jesus Christ. I'm hopeful because he died on the cross for my sins. I'm hopeful because, and you just tell them the story of who Jesus is, what he's done, and how he's changed your life. And so he says, in wrapping up in verse 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good, and for doing evil. And so this becomes the ultimate question for disciples, right? What a disciple really is saying to Jesus Christ is, you know, as a believer, I don't just believe in you and think you're right and you're good and you existed. I'm saying, God, I know who you are. You are perfect. You are holy. You are righteous. And because of who you are and the love you have for me, God, Jesus, I give to you everything I am and everything I have. And I'm here to serve you. I don't care what happens to me here on this earth because this is temporary, this is limited. I care about me being right with you. I care about you and I having the right relationship. And so I trust you, God. I trust you. And so that's where you get this mentality that says, it is better to suffer for doing what is right in the eyes of God than to have done evil. And that's the choice that a lot of us have to make. We have to make. Will you pursue the things of this world that will give you the temporary benefits here in this this realm, or are you going to be a servant of God and say, I will be willing to sacrifice whatever this world can promise me to know that I am right with God? That's the ultimate question we have to ask. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us in study. As always, my hope for you is that you don't just stop here You pray about this, you meditate about it, you think about your own questions, and you really talk to God about the truth that he's revealing to us in this wonderful book of 1 Peter. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Have a great day, and may God bless you.